Well, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Kevin Valentine. I'm the lead pastor here. And, and you know that song really reveals what life is like as a human. It's like we have these moments that are incredible mountaintop experiences followed by these deep, deep valleys. And when those happen, when the valleys happen, you can have one of two reactions. For some of us, like the song was singing, we really raise our hands in praise. Praising God, thanking Him that He's our only hope. But there's also another reaction when the storms of life hit, and that is we raise our fists. In anger, we raise our fists. In anguish, we raise our fists and say, why God? Why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening to me? We're mad at Him for not stopping the, the loss, the anguish, the pain. And so the questions that we want to get into throughout this series is this. When the, when the, where is God when the bottom of life falls out? Where is he when tragedy strikes? Why does a good God let bad things happen, especially to good people, which we're all good people in here, right? We're all the good people. Why does bad happen to us? And then we, we want to go from that question to this other question of then how do you and I go from responding like this to God to this? How do we go from anger and hurt at the loss to praise and worship and finding him as our only hope. And so let me pray for us before we jump in. Um, Lord, you have something really special for each one of us today. Um, a specific word, a specific sentence that you have for us. Lord, you've got something beautiful in store. And so God, I just pray right now that you would just speak, that you would speak through me to us, speak to me as well. Lord, I pray that whatever baggage we might have walked in here with that uh, might keep us from hearing um, your heart, I pray that you would just allow us to set it aside, that we might just hear you um, loud and clear, maybe for the first time in our life. Open our hearts and our minds to your voice and speak in your holy name. Amen. So if God is a good God, why is there pain and suffering? One of the quintessential questions when it comes to God. In fact, many atheists actually use that as a reason for why they believe what they believe. Because if God's good, why is there evil? There's a lot of evil, therefore God cannot be good. Therefore, I question if God even exists. There's a lot of atheists that kind of come from that vein of thinking. And let me just tell you um, where you're at uh, in, in life, where we're at in life. There are three people in the room when it comes to tragedy and storms in life. You're either heading into a storm, and you may or may not know that, um, you're actually in the middle of a storm right now, um, or you're coming out of a storm, and you're just hoping that this is really the last time that you're coming out of it, and there's not gray clouds ahead. And I'm, I'm talking a whole range of things, from, from stubbing your toe to getting grounded from your phone because your grades aren't good enough to keep it, um, I don't know anybody that's happening to in my house at all, um, to losing a prized possession um, because someone stole it from you, to the loss of a relationship, to the dissolving of a marriage, to financial catastrophe, to getting fired out of the blue, to, to, to having psoriasis all over your, your body, to being uh, cheated on by a significant other, by a, a spouse, to having a loved one die from disease or tragedy. It's like we've all been there, we all are there, or we're all heading there. So the question is, well, why do we experience 
suffering at all? Why do we experience pain? Where is God in the midst of our pain? Because sometimes when we begin to experience pain, it seems like God just kind of like the phone battery dies, right? Like we can't connect with him uh, we, or he goes deaf or, or he stepped out for twisty treat for like a, a, a peanut butter malt because that sounds really good right now. Like maybe that's where God is, but for whatever reason in my life right now, because things are falling apart, God seems to be so distant. distant. Why is that? Where is he when this is happening? And there's a logical explanation that I'm going to give you. And with that logical explanation, you know what it helps? It helps our head. But it doesn't really help our heart very much. And so while I want to give you the logical explanation, believe it or not, the logical question, why is there suffering, is not the foundation of where the question comes from. See, the question where that comes from is really much more personal. Because the question you and I normally ask and are asking really when we ask the big question is our question is personal in that why am I suffering? Why am I hurting? Why my family? Why can't anything go right for me? And there's nothing more human than the response in those moments to ask why. That's just what comes out of us Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York. Um, he's a best-selling author. He wrote a book called Suffering. And I'm just kind of sitting there going, who is looking at a row full of books and chooses a book called Suffering? But some people must. So, you know, hey, Suffering, yeah, let's grab that one. Um, but he writes in his book Suffering, I'm going to quote him a number of times today, but you've got to hear what he has to say. He says, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it, right? Isn't that true? Something will inevitably ruin it. Well, what is that something? Well, let me tell you about the logical explanation, and we'll get that out of the way. There's a very simple reason why a loving God allows evil to exist in the world, and um, it is simply... Because God is a loving God is why evil exists in the world. And now you're going, what? Wait. I don't know that I'm following you. Well, let me, let me, let me explain it a little bit here. Um, let me explain it. For love to exist, there has to be a freedom of will which allows love to be chosen. There has to be a freedom of will. Otherwise, it's not love. If I can't choose... if I. If I don't have the opportunity to not choose love, I can't choose love. There has to be a freedom there. If you take freedom away, you take love away. Love requires free will. Free will, at the same time, is what makes us human. Deep within the fabric of our being and our genetic code, that free will is to be human, freedom to choose right and wrong, freedom to choose good or evil, freedom to choose love or not love. And if we go all the way back to the origin story of mankind in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, in their freedom, what did they choose? They chose evil. They chose against God, which ushered death into the world. God didn't make a world with suffering and death and natural disasters and disease. We actually unleashed those forces ourselves by the decision we made to go against God, which puts us in a world where evil exists and God is a good God. Okay, got it. You guys good? All right, let's move on. I'm just kidding. Um, here's what I want to tell you. Um, I'm opening up a can of worms, right? And I'm, I'm hoping you followed me with that. Um, we're not going to dig down into that 
today and get it all wrapped up with a nice little bow because this question is not, it's not capable of wrapping up this question with a little bow. So you're going to have to make sure you come back the next three weeks because we're going to dig into that a little bit each week. But I will just tell you, I'm not going to spend much time on the logical explanation today. You just heard everything I'm going to say about the logical explanation for pain and suffering because I want to get to the, the personal experience. I want to get to the personal questions, the why am I suffering? Because that's the one we want to know. Why are things not going well with my life? Why are my kids having a hard time? Why are my plans not working out? Why do bad things keep happening in my life, but I'm not a bad person. I know bad people, and bad people is not me. That's really where we find ourselves if you've had any amount of time living. And let me just tell you, this is a very personal question to me. Like many of you know, I am a part of a very um, exclusive club. Um, I am an amputee. I am missing my uh, left leg below the knee. That's why I'm, you know, terribly good looking and muscular, but I limp a little, right? You might be wondering that, um, why I limp. Um, but you're so good looking, right? So anyways, that's why I, I'm, I'm missing a leg. But I lost my leg in an accident that happened while I was following God. I was doing exactly what he wanted me to do. I had his will for my life and my own, what I wanted to do and what he wanted to do. I chose his will, helping people, being a pastor, doing what I do, helping a lady change a tire and got hit by a car going 50 miles an hour, never hit its brakes, crushed me in between the two vehicles. Coma for 10 days, wake up Christmas Day 1997, leg's gone. Now, come back week four, I think we're going to get into the full story of, of that one. Um, but it's been over 20 years And I wrestled for years early on because of the intense, excruciating pain and just the loss of my life being taken away. And really, when I look at it, part of the struggle is I feel like part of my life was taken from me. I just do. There's parts of, there's parts of my life, like my, my boys, I got two, two very athletic boys and two wonderful little girls. And they don't know me as an athlete. They've never seen me run in my life. Like, I've never gotten on the floor and wrestled with them because I can't. I feel like there's been pieces of my life just taken away. And so I, I want you to know that. I'm not going to get into detail on that, but I want you to know that because I'm in the club. I'm in the, I've, I've had loss and tragedy and horrible circumstances happen to me. And so where do we go to find answers? Well, one of the places we go is we go to God's Word, and it's interesting what you find. You find that it's full of stories of God's people, of good people, of God's most impacting world followers ever experiencing suffering and horrible circumstances, pain, loss, and tragedy. It's like if God wanted to tell us that if we followed him, everything would go great in our life, he did a horrible job explaining that in the Bible. Because when you go look at people that are following him, their life is not easy. They experience crap in their life like you and I do. But what the Bible does do is give us some answers that I think will help you and I. They'll help you and I. So we've chosen this series to look at um, the Apostle Paul and, and look at his life. 
because he is someone who was on mission for God. He, he, uh, he, he, had a, he, had, he had a mission from God that he wouldn't like stop following, like the Blues Brothers, right? Like you couldn't stop him. Um, he's just on a mission. He's devoted himself to being good, to following Jesus, to being humble, um, to living a pure life, to starting churches all over the place, um, and, and yet he experienced incredible suffering. And so we're going to look at his life because the key is how he responded. It's not what happened to him, because you and I are going to relate in everything that happened to Paul. But it's how he responded that kind of makes you look at it and go, wow, what's going on there? Um, and so let me give you a little bit of backstory on the Apostle Paul. Um, when we find him in Scripture, his name is not Paul. It's actually Saul, Saul of Tarsus, and he is a Pharisee. And he is one of the group of men, uh, part of the group that crucified Jesus. He literally has Jesus' blood on his hands. Um, and so we, we, we meet Paul or Saul um, right after the uh, original Easter Sunday, Christianity kind of get, comes onto the scene, people are starting to follow Jesus, thousands are getting saved, and the church springs up and starts sprouting out everywhere. There's churches popping up all over the place. Well, we find Saul in chapter 8 of the book of Acts in the New Testament, and Saul is literally going from house to house, dragging people out of their homes and either killing them or putting them in jail for following Jesus. That is what he is doing. He actually goes to the, to the, to the chief priest and asks if he can have a license to kill in Damascus, because he wants to go there and drag people out of their homes and kill whichever ones he can and put them in jail, whoever he can. So he's on his way to Damascus, and you gotta, you got to know what happens to Paul, and this is going to be a little bit of homework for you. Um, Paul actually meets Jesus, and Jesus talks to him, and they have a conversation in this bright light. And you got to read the story because it's fascinating. But what you find is that Paul has this interaction with Jesus after he was crucified, after he raises from the dead three days later, after he had been seen for 40 days by over 500 people recorded in Scripture, and he ascends to heaven. Paul meets Jesus. Well, he's Saul at the time. My bad. What you find is that his life radically changes. In Acts 13, his name is changed to the Apostle Paul. Why the name changed? Because oftentimes in Scripture, when people had radical transformations of who they were, they would change their name to symbolize the change. So Saul is renamed Paul, the Apostle Paul. And he literally goes from killing Christians and murdering Christians to leading them. Like, he was the leader of the resistance to Christianity. Now he's the leader of Christianity. He becomes one of the most prolific church planners in history. His letters to those churches actually make up a majority of the New Testament. And Paul's one of the main reasons you and I are sitting in this gym today. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But we're going to jump into this story where Paul and Silas, is his tra Silas's traveling companion, fellow disciple, they're on Paul's second missionary journey, and they travel to Philippi, which is, in, uh, which is a Roman colony in Macedonia, which is modern-day Europe. Well, they begin to preach about Jesus in Philippi, and people start to believe in Jesus. Well, one day as they are headed down to, to pray, they encounter this girl with a demonic spirit in her that allows her to tell people's fortunes. Now, you might be looking at me going, eh, you really believe that like there's demons and angels and that whole thing? And I'll just tell you, yes, I do. Why do I believe that? Because Jesus did. In fact, Jesus encountered demons. Jesus talked to demons. They knew who he was. And if Jesus believes in them, I believe in them. Why? Because I believe in Jesus. And if he says they're real, they're real. So this demon girl, girl with a demon in her, she actually tells people's fortunes and makes her masters a lot of money because she's a slave. 
So she starts harassing Paul and Silas daily. They come into town. They go to, they're going down to pray. Demon girl starts harassing them and yelling at them. And what she's saying, she's like, these servants are men of the most high God. They are coming to tell you how to be saved. And she's kind of outing them in front of all the people, telling them what they're up to because the demon inside of her knows what's going on. Well, this begins to get under Paul's skin, right? Wouldn't it get under your skin? So Paul, walking down one day, girls harassing her, stops and basically casts the demon out of this girl. Now, and I just look at that and I go like, wouldn't it be nice to do that to people that are harassing you? <laughs> wouldn't it be awesome to just turn him and go, come out of him, Satan, right now, you know? And it's like, that, win friends and influence people. That's what you do. Um, but it's like, it's like, that's what they do. They get tired of her and they cast the demon out of her. Well, you would think that everybody is going, thank you, God, it's gone, woo, like, let's celebrate. No, what actually happens is her masters realize their source of income's gone. And they're ticked. And so they incite a mob against Paul and Silas. And what, here's what happens. You find out in Acts 16, verse 22, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Now, a couple things here you might not know. The inner jail was basically max security prison, and they didn't need stocks to keep them in there. You know what the stocks were? Really tell us that this jailer was unbelievably cruel. They were already in max security to put them in stocks, which basically was two boards with holes cut out for the ankle, slammed together, and then bolted to the floor on your face. So you either slept on your knees or laying flat on your face, and you couldn't move an inch unbelievably painful. Now, hit the pause button on the story because sometimes we read scripture and we just kind of blow by this stuff. Paul and Silas are in Rome to do what? Tell people about Jesus, help people cast demons out of little girls, help people find the God of the universe, help people secure an eternity in heaven. They're there for all good reasons. But yet, what did they get for their hard work? Stripped, beaten, put in max security prison, and bolted to the floor. That's what they get. And you got to put yourself there and just go, okay, how do you respond? How would you respond if today you walked out of here, you get arrested right outside of this place for being in church, you get taken somewhere where you are stripped down, beaten with wooden rods, thrown in max security prison, and then bolted to the floor in stocks. How would you feel in that moment? What would be going through your mind? You would literally be at the end of your rope. You would be thinking your life is over. You would be wondering, how do we even get out of here? But this is where I hope to help all of us look at suffering through a different lens. Through the lens of a biblical worldview, through God's lens, what's the place of suffering in God's economy? Because see, Paul and Silas, they know something about suffering that's different from everyone else. They understand something about the pain they're experiencing, and we see it in the way they reacted to this turn of events, Acts 16.25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. What do they know about this circumstance that other people don't know? What is it about their relationship with God that sets them apart and how they would react? Because you and I might be um, praying, but I don't think it would be as nice. I don't think we would be praising God. I think we'd be singing very different songs in that moment. What truth is allowing them to sing and pray after being beaten and thrown in stocks? Well, they know and believe with every ounce of their being this truth. 
And it's this, there is a meaning and purpose to pain and suffering. There's a meaning and purpose to pain and suffering. Tim Keller, he writes this, he says, Christianity teaches that suffering is meaningful. In the secular view, apart from Christ, suffering is never seen as a meaningful part of life, but only as an interruption, something to be avoided. You read in scriptures, Peter, Jesus' lead disciple, the one who walked on water and, and denied him three times that Jesus met after he was resurrected, Peter writes in 1 Peter 5.10 of this same thing. There's a meaning and purpose to pain and suffering. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So, after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. So, after you have, keep that, let's keep that verse up there. After you have what a little while? Just say that out loud. Okay, I didn't quite hear you. After you have what a little while? Suffered. A little while. And I don't know what a little while is for you. I know for me and my leg, um, it's the rest of my life. That doesn't seem like a little while to me. Maybe it does to God. But what's the bigger meaning here? There's a purpose. There's a purpose to our suffering. After you have suffered, because all of us will, if you turn to God, what will he do? He will restore you. He will support you. Who doesn't want to feel like God is supporting them? He will strengthen you, and then what will he do? He will build a firm foundation under your feet. There's a meaning and purpose to pain and suffering. And so over the next few minutes, I just want to give you four. There's a ton, but I'm going to give you four meanings to suffering. And the first one is this, suffering drives us to God. Suffering drives us to God. Tim Keller, he says, suffering is meaningful, there's a purpose to it, and if faced rightly, I love how he says this, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. What's the meaning of suffering? Part of it is it's the only thing that can drive you like a nail deep into the love of God. How many people do you know that in their greatest time of need, at the worst parts of their life, they cried out to God and they met him? He showed up. I've lost count of the amount of people that have told me their story, and, and their stories all start like this. After my divorce, then I turned towards God. Um, after, after my mom or dad died, when I was going through that, I turned to God. The story I shared of Andy at Easter, what did he say? When I became homeless and lost everything after being incredibly successful, then I turned to God. When I made a series of stupid decisions and dug a hole so deep I couldn't get myself out of it, then I turned to God. There's something within us, there's something within us that just points us when we get to the point where we realize we can do nothing else that points us to God. It's a God reflex woven into our DNA. For some, why are you suffering? Because it's the only thing that will get you to turn towards God. Why? Because suffering ultimately reveals how little control you have. How little control I have. And when you realize you don't have any control, where do you turn? God. A second meaning behind suffering. And you know, this doesn't answer all of our questions, but it's about our view of suffering. The second one is this. Suffering moves us towards compassion. Suffering moves us towards compassion. 2 Corinthians 1, 4, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort God has given 
us. There's a verb in there. God is doing what in our troubles? Can you say that? God's doing what? He's comforting. He's comforting us in our troubles. And what's he setting us to do, setting us up to do later? Comfort others. I met with a woman recently. She wants to start, help start um, Celebrate Recovery here at Kensington in the fall. And Celebrate Recovery is a place where you go if you have any hurts, habits, or hang-ups that are just kind of stopping you in your life. And it's a place to find community and work through those issues in your life with a group of people that love God and are going to point you to Him. And, and it, as we were talking, it, it, she just said, it's like that she'd just been through an incredibly horrific experience in her life. And God has shown up. And He's done everything He said He would do. It drew her closer to God. It drove her like a nail deep into the love of God. And now she's got a stability in her life that she's never had. And what, what did she say? to me. She's like, why, why do you want to do this? I want to do this because I want to help people that are right where I was get to where I am now. I want to comfort them. I want to lead them. I want to guide them. I want to give them a place where they can find what I found. What is she revealing? What does suffering do? Suffering moves us towards compassion. A third meeting to suffering. Suffering causes us to consider eternity. Suffering causes us to consider eternity. Tim Keller writes, while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of this world's sorrows tasting the coming joy. I love what he says. I don't know if you caught that. He's basically saying, look, every other religion out there says, hey, live it up now. Have your best life now because we don't know what's happening after this. There's only a few people that get into where we think is going to be good or you just keep doing this thing over and over and over. Every religion has this view except for Christianity is the only one that empowers people to sit in the midst of this world's sorrows where Christianity says, guess what? You're going to suffer. It's part of being human. It's part of life. But there's a day coming. There's a day coming where every wrong will be made right. There's a day coming that every tear will be dried up and there will be no more crying and no more loss and no more pain. And I'll just speak from experience on this one. Um, until I lost my leg, I will tell you where heaven was in my life. Heaven was um, a place that I was looking forward to going to someday but never thought about because really I just wanted to not go to hell right? What was heaven to me? It was my, uh, it was where I go because I didn't want to go to hell, so I accepted Jesus at an early age, and that's not the only reason I did, but it sure was nice having that insurance card, right? So that's where heaven sat for me until I lost my leg and lived in pain every day, and suddenly heaven became a place that I can't wait to get to. Heaven became a place that I longed to go to and was so grateful that I already knew how. And I'll just tell you, when I get to heaven, the first place I'm going is to the leg store. That's where you'll find me, okay? When we get there, I'm going to be there, and I think I'm going to be getting back what was taken from me like 20 years ago. I'm like, I want it back. It's been here for 20 years and running around, well, hopefully 70 years. It's been here for a long time. Running around heaven, it'll show me around, but just give it back, okay? You've had it on loan. I want it. Like, that's where I'm headed as soon as I get to heaven. But I'm just telling you, I can sit in today's sorrow every time my leg hurts, every time I can't wear it, every time my, at the end of the day... I can't take another step. Guess what I get to do? I get to think about what the day's going to be like when my body's whole again. And I don't have to live with this anymore. Suffering gave me that gift. Suffering gave me that gift. 
And it's a gift to be able to look with hope at the future. Suffering causes us to consider eternity. And if it points us to God, gives us a hope and a dream of someday being what I think in our hearts we know we can be, and that is children of God in heaven for eternity. Can't wait to be there. Before I give you the fourth one, um, we're going to receive our offering. Um, and I'll just say this, ushers, you guys can go ahead and come on down. And some of you got an email from me this last week. We're changing over our giving platform. And for those of you that give online, thank you for that. And if you would just get online, that email I sent, and transition over, it'd be super helpful to us. But I want to thank you for supporting the mission that we're on to tell people about Jesus. And for those of you that are here, you're new, maybe you came to Easter first time back, um, or, you know, I want to encourage you, uh, don't, let, don't feel like you got to give anything. Let the basket go by. We're excited that you're here. This, this service is a gift to you. And um, I just want you to not feel awkward in this moment. So let me give you, uh, let, me, let me just, let me do this. The first meaning of suffering is suffering drives us to God. Second one is suffering moves us towards compassion. The third is suffering causes us to consider eternity. And the fourth is this, suffering draws others to God. Draws others to God. Acts 16.25, around midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. And there's these, these uh, six words, and the other prisoners were listening. Let me tell you something about Christian suffering. When Christians suffer, the world leans in to listen. Because they want to know, are they still going to praise God in this moment? And that's how, if we turn to God when we suffer, it actually draws other people in. Here's the twist in this story, Acts 16, 26. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. Paul and Silas are singing and praising. Uh, massive earthquake. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Now, why do that? Because he knew if those prisoners escaped, he was as good as dead. Because Rome said, basically, if you fail in your job, we're going to burn you alive, and usually we're going to use your own clothes to start the fire. So he knows he's dead, and so he says, I'm going to get one step ahead of him. I'm going to kill myself so I don't have to go through that. Verse 28, but Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, Paul and Silas somehow recognize that there's more going on than just their pain. They're not there to escape from prison. The jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds that he gave them. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. What happens through the suffering and pain of Paul and Silas is the jailer is saved. And then reaches his whole family. And one night, the jailer goes to being so desperate that he was willing to take his own life in that moment to being filled with joy. Because he went from dead to alive. He 
He's filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. His circumstances didn't change, but his heart changed. And so let me just ask you this. What if the sole purpose of the suffering of Paul and Silas in that prison was the jailer? What if? What if the reason for their suffering was not just the jailer, but his family? And even bigger yet, what if the meaning of the suffering of Paul and Silas was you and me? See, when this man got saved, he joined the first church in Philippi. That church was the gateway through which the church exploded into Europe. Where did the founders of this country come from? Europe. What did they bring? Knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ. In fact, you're sitting in a church in America because of what happened that night in that jail. Because that man became a part and his family became a part of that church. Through the lineage of the church brought the story of Jesus to our country. And so I just read you the story of your spiritual origin if you're a believer in Jesus. So what if the meaning and purpose of the suffering of Paul and Silas in that jail cell so often we want to know why right now tell me why what if the purpose for your suffering won't be known for generations are you okay with that I've become okay with that and I'll just tell you that's what happens when someone accepts Jesus See, Jesus never promises a perfect life where everything goes the way you want it to go. Just nowhere in Scripture is that promised. What is promised is that every time you hit the valley, every time you head into the storm, who's right beside you? Jesus. Guiding and leading and helping you through and navigating. Not stopping the suffering, but potentially using it. Why? Because there's meaning and purpose to it you may never know your entire life. I guarantee you Paul and Silas had no idea that 2,000 years later we would be in a gym in Florida talking about Jesus and we could trace it back to those two guys and their suffering. So what's the bigger miracle in the story? The earthquake and the doors popping open to the jail cells? Or one man going from death to life and being saved prison of sin. See, Paul and Silas, they would say that's the bigger miracle. And I think this morning there might be some more miracles just like that here. We're about to go celebrate um, baptisms after this service, and we've got, um, I think, 11 people that have already signed up and are ready to go. But you know, something happened this last service, which was really cool, is there was a guy here, here for the first time. And I just offered people the opportunity to accept Jesus and they get baptized because what did the jailer do right after? What did he do? That night, him and his family baptized, boom. He accepted Jesus, okay, dunk me. That's what we're doing. There's a guy last service. He said he walked in here and he's interesting. He's like, that message was written for me. And I'm like, well, good. I didn't write it. God did. It's using his word. 
He accepted Jesus, and he's like, I'm ready. So we baptized him last service. And I just think there might be some people here that you've never accepted Jesus. Well, guess what? I'm about to give you the opportunity, and I want to encourage you, if you accept Jesus Christ, guess what your next step is, is getting baptized publicly declaring the fact that you're a follower of Jesus, or maybe you were baptized as a child, but you've never made that decision to, to, to publicly declare that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You might have been a follower for years, but you've never been baptized with a community of people. Well, maybe today's your day. And I'll just tell you, we take people, and when we dunk them down into the water, what does it symbolize? It symbolizes their death with Christ. Their old person, their old person that is full of sin is, is gone, it's buried, it's, 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 it's never coming back. But when we raise them up, what we raise them up into is new life. It, it symbolizes the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power that he gives that says, hey, I am all in for following Jesus Christ. That's what we're about to go do. People publicly declaring that they are a new person and they're following Jesus. And so I want to just take a minute and pray and invite those of you that have never accepted Jesus to pray with me. And maybe today's your day to not only get saved, but to be baptized. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And if that's you, if you're just, you've been coming around for a little bit and you're, you're ready, it's your time. Or maybe you're here for the first time today and it's your time. I want to invite you to invite Jesus into your life. And there's nothing miraculous about the words. It's really the posture of your heart. But I want to give you words to just say to God quietly. You don't have to say them out loud. But you can say something like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I invite you into my life right now to save me, to help me with the suffering that I've been going through. Please forgive me for my sins. Help me to live my life for you as best as you can. Show me what it means to follow you. And thank you for giving your life up for me that I might find life. And for those of you in the room that maybe today's your day to be baptized and you're just feeling that nudge by the Holy Spirit, I'm just telling you we got towels and a shirt for you. You can go home wet but I want to pray for you. God, if there's anyone in the room right now that today is their day to publicly declare that they're a follower of yours and they've never done that, I pray that you would just give them a nudge in their heart that they might be a part of this special day along with the others that are already getting baptized. In your holy name.